This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immort- on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed. There's programming down the hall for them. And to the rest of you, we are glad that you are here at Community Christian Church for the 11 o'clock service. Good to see everybody today. The ancient uh, Greek philosopher Epicurus has a fascinating statement about death. It goes this way. It's on the screen. He argues that death cannot touch us because while we exist, death is not present, and when death is present, we no longer exist. And so he reasons that since death cannot touch us, it cannot be bad. Fear is only rational if something is bad. And, and so he concludes that it's irrational to fear death. It's pointless to fear death. Now, that's fascinating. First, because here's what he's saying, and that's exactly, and it's exactly what Paul's saying. He says, if you could be totally sure that when you die, there is absolutely nothing, that there's extinction or annihilation is another way to put it, if, if you could be absolutely sure of that, then there would be no reason to fear death. It would have no poison. It would have no sting. We wouldn't be scared of it because as long as we're alive, death isn't there. And as soon as we're dead, there's nothing, right? And so what's the fear? What's the problem? There is no problem. That's the way his argument goes. And that's maybe not a bad argument, except there's a big, big problem. And it's this, that none of us can be totally sure that there really is nothing after death. We can't, sh- can't be sure about that. What people fear most about death is not that maybe death is nothing, but maybe death is not nothing. That's what we fear. Maybe there is something more after this life, and that's what worries us. Nobody can really prove that after death there is no thing called judgment. Um, And if we know it's possible, then that worries us. People who have had uh, death experiences in their life, face death, commonly say that their life flashes before their eyes, and they immediately conclude after that, I, I haven't lived the way I should live, and I'm not really ready, and oh my goodness, I'm going to change some things. And see, even in ex- an experience of death, there's a sense of judgment that is coming after death. And so, 
therapists and poets and counselors and theologians and philosophers and even country singers uh, write and say that we are afraid of death. Paul writes it this way, that this fear of death and what it brings with us, with it, it's poison. It stings. And so today we are at the end of this series that we've entitled, Yolf, You Always Live Forever. And we, we kind of uh, end where we started. Uh, we all want to live, and there's something built in us that knows that we were meant to live forever. That's where we started the very first week. And then we talked about there are stories from all over the globe that really do show that after this life, there is something. And then we talk, turn to Christianity, and Christianity can be t- trusted as a voice to tell us what happens after we die. And Christianity says that there is a heaven waiting for those who trust Christ. Uh, some of us will refuse that invitation. And so at the end of the day, heaven and hell are choices. We talked about that last week. But every one of us, no matter what, we will all die. Death comes for us all. There's, there, is there a way to get rid of this thing, this dread that death brings, what Paul calls the sting of death. And to walk through this today, we need to have a funeral. Now, be honest, when you came in today, this was not what you expected to see, right? Uh, there, Even some people in the foyer were like, um, what are we walking into today? Like, is there somebody in there? Did we miss something? And if there's somebody in there, wow, they get a service on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you must be special to get that. Like, um, and so there is somebody in the casket today, and it is you. And we're going to walk through your funeral today. And so on behalf of your family, I'd like to welcome everybody and thank you for coming to honor someone that meant so much to all of us. Your presence here is a testimony to how you were touched by this life, and it's a great show of love to their family. So thank you for being here. You, aged way too young, a resident of somewhere in or around Fort Scott, Kansas, died Thursday, June 9th, 2022 at your home surrounded by your family. You were born not too long ago or many decades ago, the son or daughter of someone somewhere who preceded you in death. You loved lots of things in life. You did lots of things in life. You went lots of places in life. And you had lots of people in your life that you did all of those lots of things that you liked and went all of those lots of places with. Survivors include your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad of the home. Other close family, kids, grandkids, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. Also surviving are some of those lots of people previously mentioned, as well as some people that you wouldn't really include on the list of people that you liked because some of them you barely know, but they're related to you, so they get listed automatically. The Reverend Dusty Drake, the Reverend Dusty Drake, will conduct funeral service on Sunday, June 12th, 2022 at 1130 a.m. at Community Christian Church. A graveside will follow at whatever cemetery your family secured a plot in. Memorials are suggested to some charity or organization that will make your family feel like they did something good. There it is. If you'd like a copy of your obituary, I'd be glad to get you one. It's it's your funeral today. This is for you. 
And the cool thing about having a funeral for you today is that you get to hear it. A funeral usually is for everybody else, but today it's for you. And so typically, after an obituary, there would be some selected scriptures that would be read, ones that make everybody feel comforted, and then maybe somebody would come up and sing a song, or maybe we would play a song, or maybe somebody would read a poem, or maybe, maybe you're a hymn person and you would have all the congregation sing a hymn, or maybe uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan is more the speed for your funeral. I've been to those funerals. Uh, and then maybe a, a friend gets up and tells some funny moments that they had with you, and that's endearing to everybody, and it's funny at the same time, and, and so it amplifies the tragedy of your loss and tears begin to flow in the room because you were loved at least enough for some tears. And then it's my turn. And I get up to the podium, and when I do, people are never clapping. They're grieving. They're heartbroken. They're grief-stricken. And so I just try to point to what the Scriptures have to say about this moment that we're all in together. What are some good things that God would tell us about your death today? And here's a great place to start, that death is not natural. Life is meant to be lived. And we can say of you, you lived all of your life. That's a funny statement to make, but, but you did. You lived all of your life. You didn't just take up space. You created the space you wanted. You did the things you wanted to do. You went places. You knew people. And that's what it means to live. And for something to come along and to interrupt that process, that's unnatural. And we know it deep down. Our world tries to write a different story about this scene today. What is death? Why do we have death? What's the meaning of life if it all comes to this? And here's the popular answer our world tries to tell us. This is normal. This is natural. Just another stage in life. Nothing wrong here. Death is not to be fought. Death is not to be feared. Just the circle of life, right? Uh, so that you can be fertilizer for some other life. And here's the problem. None of us in this room are comfortable with that thought. We know instinctively that death is never natural. Death is always traumatic. Death is always terrifying. It's always an aberration. We know this scene is not the way things are supposed to be. Even if we were walking into the funeral of the oldest person alive on the earth, but they're now dead, right? Uh, but the oldest person who had ever lived, or we've ever heard of, there's something in us that would say, no, that's not how this should end. Death is not natural, no matter how old, no matter how young. The apostle calls that truth we intuitively know the sting of death. That's what Paul writes. The word he uses is a word used to describe the sting of bees or scorpions or wasps, and it refers specifically to a sting that's poisonous. Uh, anybody in the room ever been stung by something that's poisonous? right? We, we have lots of people we could go around the room and tell stories about being stung by something poisonous. And, and that, that tortures us, these stinging things that are poisonous. But it's usually the, not the sting itself that hurts us or sends us into shock or, or ultimately kills us. It's, 
It's actually the poison that's delivered in the sting that hurts us. The sting is just an alarm bell that alerts us and tells us that the poison is present and that it's about to do its work and the hurt is coming. And so the bee sting, if you've ever been stung by a bee, that's not too horrible. What's horrible is the puffy face and the eye that swelled shut for the next five days. And so each sin we fall into in this life has its own trouble, but but beyond that, every time we sin, we are also reminded of the poison that is injected in us that will have its day ultimately. We know what's coming because of the sting. The poison one day will do its work, and the end result of our sin will be death. And everything in us resists that. We push it away, we ignore it, we delay it. Even, that's why it's so, what? A ca- Come on. Is a casket here today? What is this? Death is not natural. Life is meant to be lived well and lived forever. And so because of the unnaturalness of death, the unnatural reality of it, death becomes then an enemy. Death is the enemy. Paul writes this, the power of sin is the law. And what he means by that is that the law is actually the poison that the sting of sin brings. The law is this high jump bar that we keep trying to jump over and we just never can. We know that we need to get over the bar so that we can be right with ourselves, right with each other, ultimately right with God, and yet we can't, but it's always there and we know it. The law is the reason that you put gel in your hair today. The law is the reason that you step on the scale every once in a while. The law is why we mow our lawns. We want to be right with other people. We want to be right with ourselves and ultimately right with God. The law is why we applaud people for doing good things and acting in loving and caring ways, even in normal ways we applaud people. And that's the law at work. If, if you came in today and there was somebody in the room who took their chair and turned it exactly opposite and faced the back wall and sat at it, nobody would sit around that person. What's going on there? That's the law. We want people to act predictably. We know that there's certain behavior that is right in certain situations and certain behavior that is wrong in given circumstances, and that's the law at work in us. We can't argue with it, and it's doing its work following us everywhere we go. And so maybe at your funeral today, your family and friends would step up to the podium and maybe they would say that you were generous that you were caring, you were fun to be around, you were passionate, you were gifted, you were respected, you were adventurous, you were intelligent, you were detailed, you were creative, you were involved, you were faithful, and a hundred other descriptors that we could use. No matter who is in the casket, there are always things about them that we learn and that we would like to replicate in our own lives wow, they did that, they were such a good person in that corner, I'd I'd love to be like that, I need to be like that. See, we realize that we haven't gotten life right yet. When we see it lived 
rightly in the corner of somebody else's life, it makes us want to be a better person and do those things too. And that's the law at work. But we can't measure up. No matter how hard we try to be right with other people, we just can't jump over that bar enough. Sometimes we do come into this place and we turn our chairs backwards and we sit towards the back wall. And nobody wants to be around us. And those failings in life make us, make us wince when we think about them. Sin stings. It tells us what's coming. The power of sin the thing that makes the stinger so painful is the law, the, the bar that we're always fighting up against. And the sin that points to death that we can't ever quite get rid of is then a constant enemy for all of us. The, the law makes sinners out of everyone. It condemns everyone. Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't make it over the bar. The bar is set. And for trying to clear it and never accomplishing that feat, Scripture says we earn something for our efforts. It says the wages of sin is death. Death is the enemy. The good news at your funeral today is that death is a defeated enemy. How will we defeat this thing called death? And the answer is we won't. We cannot defeat it, but we have someone who can, and his name is Jesus. Paul gives us the line that flips the script in this text. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And how does Jesus give a victory that defeats death? Paul writes this, this is an amazing picture, that he swallows up death in victory, swallows it up. It means that there is this complete and utter destruction and defeat of death because Jesus satisfies the law's claims on us at the cross. Galatians says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so I want you to think about this picture by thinking about what you're going to have for lunch today. Whatever it is, sandwich, fried chicken, Mexican, whatever it is, maybe it's a burrito. There are a couple ways to get that thing off of your plate. The first is just to stand up and go over to the trash and put it off your plate. Nobody wants to do that. That's not the fun way, right? The second way is the fun way to eat the food. That's the way we get it off the plate. And when you do that, what happens? The sandwich is broken apart bite by bite. The burrito is chomped up into smaller and smaller bits by your teeth and even in your mouth. There's this saliva, this chemical in there that begins to break down your food, and then you swallow it, but it's not gone, right? Eventually, all of those fibers and proteins and nutrients in the sandwich or burrito or fried chicken or whatever, they're carried off to different parts of your body. And so, literally, the sandwich or the burrito or the fried chicken becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of your energy and of your life. It enhances you. It gives you life. You are what you eat, as we say. And so, get what Paul is saying here. Death has been swallowed up in the victory of the resurrection of Jesus. Death itself has been broken apart, chomped into bits, and ingested. It's not gone, it's used. 
It's repurposed as fuel for life in Jesus. Death is no longer a burying, it's a planting. The swallowed up line isn't original with Paul. Uh, Paul is actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, where the prophet Isaiah says this, it's on the screen, that God will swallow up death forever. Do you notice how Paul changes it? What does Paul write? Paul writes, death is swallowed up in victory, as if it already happened. How does it go from God will do this to it has been done already, the resurrection? The resurrection isn't just a consolation ribbon for all of our suffering. It isn't just the removal of suffering. It's the swallowing of suffering. And the resurrection takes all of that suffering that has ever happened to you in your life, and it strips it down, and it takes all of the usable parts that it can find, and it remakes it, and it turns it into something amazingly beautiful for your life. That's what the resurrection does. Some of you know this, that when a bee actually stings you, the, the bee stinger gets left in the part of you that gets stung. The bee, because it has to leave its stinger, dies as a result of stinging you. The bee really doesn't have any way around that. That's why they will that's the last resort. They, they will try anything else but to sting you, but they know they're going to die when they do. And in the stinging, she has signed her own death certificate, and they're all she's if they have stingers, okay? And so that's what death did to itself at the cross. Death stung Jesus, and Jesus took death's stinger away, and death was done. And in the truest sense that we can articulate, death stung itself to death on the cross. That's what happened. And so now we have nothing to fear in death. The stinger is gone. We could say the teeth are gone. So all death gets to do now is gum us a little bit. Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, was a pastor who was driving his family to the funeral of his wife. And he's with his small kids in the car, and on the way, he's trying to figure out a way to talk to his kids about his wife's death, a way to get across to them that death is a defeated thing. This is not something that we have to be despondent about. There's hope here. And he's trying to get that across to his kids. He just doesn't know how. And then as they were in the car, he sees coming the other way in another lane opposite them uh, a big semi-truck. And the sun was at an angle so that when the truck went by them at the very same time, the shadow of the truck went over their car so that it was hit by the shadow. And he said, oh, I have it. He saw another big truck coming towards them and he turned to his son and his daughter and he said, kids, do you see that truck in that lane coming towards us? Yeah. Do you see the shadow of the truck coming towards us? Yeah. Would you rather be hit by the truck or by the shadow? He said, Dad, duh, the, the shadow. He said, here's what I want you to know. The truck of death hit Jesus so that mommy only has to go through the shadow. Death is now just a shadow. It's stingless. 
It's a paradox. Death can't really kill you. It has no poison. It will bite, but it cannot kill you. It will only hit you, but it will only hit you in the sense that a shadow hits you. And when it does, it will only make you greater. It will only make you better because the poison is gone. It's been swallowed up. And so when you're not afraid of death, you don't have to be afraid of anything. The resurrection makes death a defeated enemy, and now nothing can be done to you. And so I want you today to let that truth argue with your conscience until it turns into a confidence. Implant that truth deep into your heart until a real Savior becomes a real conviction. Death is not natural. Death is the enemy. But death in Jesus is a defeated enemy. Here's how your closing prayer for the funeral goes, something like this. Father, today we gather around death, but we're not ignorant about it. We are filled with hope because Jesus has defeated this great enemy. We're able to taunt death. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Because Jesus has brought death of death by his own death. We take great comfort in that today. We thank God that your life was a life lived We thank God that you trusted in Jesus. And so help us, God, trust today that your promises are true, that there is resurrection and life in Jesus Christ. Would you wrap your great arms of comfort around the family and friends? Would you use each of us in this room to bring great comfort to each of them? And in the name of the Redeemer, who can make even a Redeemer out of death, our strong, resurrected Savior, Jesus, we all pray. And everybody said, amen. Death is not natural. Death is an enemy. Death is a defeated enemy. There it is. There's there's your funeral. At least you know what's coming and you got to hear it once, okay? But the reality is today, you're not dead at all. We're glad for that, right? We're going to walk out these doors today as alive as ever. And so what does this all mean for us as we do that? Let me give you two things. Maybe you're not a Christian here today. I want you to see in this picture today, in your funeral, a clue. A clue of what really is going on. See, if death is really the way the universe was meant to work, then there is no reason we should step into this room and complain about a casket being here. There's no reason it should worry us. But we all are worried. We look here. We look at the casket. We look at an urn and a picture right by it, we look at a headstone, and it doesn't matter what age of the person is, maybe 9 or 99, we all say, nope, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And the fact that we are repulsed by it, we are shocked by death, that we complain about it robbing us of something is a clue. It's a clue that we know deep down that we're meant to live forever. We were actually built for some other kind of world where death does not exist. And so if you're not a Christian, would you just chew on that idea this week? Our uncomfortableness with death is a clue that you actually live forever. And that has incredible implications for you that you need to deal with and that you need to act on. Here's number two. Maybe you're a Christian today and you've been following Jesus. You're like Braden and and you've followed him today. This is true of you. It's a call. There's a call here. 
in your funeral today. There's a parallel passage to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in both passages, Paul talks about Christ's return and in the twinkling of an eye, we'll all be changed and we'll meet him. And it's about our resurrection. We'll be caught up in the clouds with Jesus. We'll be with him forever. And that's what we have waiting for us when, when this day comes. But then in 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the practical implications of that. He says it this way, that it's still night in the world, but we are to live as if it's daytime. He puts it this way, for you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. We are to be day people in a world of darkness. That's what Paul's telling us to do. And I think he hints at about three things that, that we can do to make ourselves people of the day in a world of darkness. Number one, we are to be a singing people. Why? Because we have a future. We know this is not the end. And so joyful hope should be above all and in all in our lives. No matter what circumstances, hope is above it. No matter what circumstances, hope is in it because we know we have a future. Let's sing. Have a hymn in your heart, always. Number two, we should be a partying people because of what our future is. Our future is material. God says we'll get new bodies. God says we'll have feasting. God says there will be banqueting. God says there will be a home, a place for you and for me. God says there will be friends and family in this place. And so whatever you do this week, that is joyful and celebratory. Maybe you're dancing. Maybe you go to a buffet line. Maybe you're at a family vacation this week. Maybe you're around a table with friends. Maybe you're at a parade. Maybe you're doing the two-step. Maybe you're cutting a birthday cake. Maybe you're sharing at Christmas time or, or at a, a opening a present of some sort. Whatever your version of a good party is, do you know what it is? It's practice. It's practice for what is ahead of us. Throw a party every chance that you get. We should be people who take every chance to celebrate because that's what our future will be. Here's number three. Be a fighting people because of what our future isn't. The resurrection means God is against some things. He's against decay. He's against disease. He's against disaster. He's against death. And so we should be too. Wherever we walk out into the world and we see brokenness, let's fight against it because God meant to, for us to live in a place that wasn't broken. That's the future we have waiting for us, a future that isn't broken. And so let's build that future right now on this earth. Let's fight against pain and suffering and injustice and poverty. The resurrection will ultimately put an end to all of our brokenness in this world. But until it does, let's do everything that we can to put it into it, at least temporarily. People of the day, even in the night. Why? Because death has lost its stinger. Death has lost its teeth. Jesus has taken the poison himself so that it's no longer harmful to us. Now there is only victory where once there was tragedy. And I couldn't get 
to this part today. There's just not enough time. But do you know what God says as he looks on this scene? He says, this is precious to me. I love this. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Do you know why he can say that? It's precious because this is costly to him. It costs the life of his son to make you a saint, but he loves you that much. He's so interested in you that he paid whatever the cost so that you would have a way to be a part of his family. And so that's the question. Are you a part of his family today? Are you one of those people who can claim victory over death, who can taunt death, who can laugh at death? One of the biggest comforts that I can give to people at any funeral that I do, whether it's friends, family, whoever, is to be able to stand up the podium and look out on the crowd and say, the person in this box knew Jesus. They knew Jesus. They trusted him who, who took away the sting of death and now life awaits them. They really are, because of Jesus, in a better place. And that's a comfort. It's an unmatched gift to leave your family when you go. If you walked outside today and something happened and we had to wheel you right back in inside this box, would that be the gift that you left your family and your friends today? And if not, the invitation is for you. Would you come and give your life to the one person who took the sting of death away so that now death is just a doorway that you get to walk through to eternal life forever. It takes belief. It takes repentance. It takes baptism. It takes all those things that Braden did today. He made death just a doorway today. That can be your story too. Jesus made it possible. Make death just a shadow that hits you today.